This week, Matthew and I are taking a slight departure from our normal EV-obsessed podcasting, and we're talking about um, wind turbine technician jobs and, and fires. Matthew, do you want to get us started with the fires? Sure. Uh, thanks, Zachary. So uh, we've had a, a tragic uh, uh, out. Well, I guess all forest fires are tragic. We've had a forest fire out uh, break out near Fort McMurray in Alberta, in Canada. Fort McMurray being the uh, smallest town, I think it's on the order of fifty, maybe eighty thousand people, which is closest to the tar sands, the oil sands, uh, in Alberta. It is uh, located maybe thirty, forty-five minutes from the actual. Uh, mine sites where either you have these big massive pieces of machinery which scoop out the sand which contains a bit of bitumen kind of like uncooked oil really and then um, uh, process it or or upgrade it and uh, what's happened is there has been a very large uh, forest fire breakout they actually evacuated the city and some nearby small little hamlets it has uh, continued growing for the past uh, week and a half, I suppose, um, yeah, about uh, about a half a month, and it is now about uh, about uh, half a million hectares, which uh, doesn't really mean much uh, in terms of, uh, you know, statistics or real-world stuff for, uh, for your typical uh, listener, most likely, and uh, in... Instead, uh, what the the best way to describe it is that this is the uh, ninth largest forest fire recorded in North America, with four of those fire, forest fires, those nine largest forest fires, having occurred in the past decade or so. Uh, it is it is very uh, unfortunate. It doesn't appear that there has been a loss of life, but uh, you know a lot of property damage, a lot of people's lives have been uprooted, and. Um, even though uh, you know there there might be some temptation to kind of see this as a bit of a karma going through it, uh, it it really is the uh, you know as is so often the case the people at the very top of the food chain who benefit the most from uh, the havoc that uh, the product wreaks are, are completely unaffected in their penthouses in Toronto and I don't know with their with their Panama offshore tax havens and whatnot. Uh, one hopes that it uh, it will this will be helpful in terms of uh, galvanizing support in Alberta and elsewhere to uh, move off the, uh, the the fossil fuels line, move off of that stream into something which is more renewable. As the uh, forest fire itself, um, it's imp- it's uh, as as scientists always have to say in these cases, you know, one can't directly attribute anything uh, uh, to climate change. However, the uh, the forest conditions locally uh, were warmer and drier than uh, they typically have been. This is due to the El Nino. However, uh, with the expected and on track increase in global temperatures, we would expect warmer and drier temperatures for this region. Uh, and again, four of the largest nine uh, forest fires we've seen in North America in in our couple hundred years of being able to record them have happened in the last decade. So it's a very tragic, uh, uh, tragic thing. It, it There's some sort of symbolism in that it is right at the heart of the uh, uh, oil sands infrastructure. And uh, one does hope that uh, we can uh, we can sort of flip this uh, jujitsu style into something which we can uh, we can make some good come out of.
Well, since I'm sure that you see all of the media in Canada, <laughs> I will ask for your uh, your opinion. What do you see in Canada? I mean, how how much is climate change adequate, you know, covered or adequately covered in in the Canadian media? Uh, you know, in the U.S., it hardly gets any time. Even even last year, when it was the hottest year on record, significantly, uh, it was it was almost not covered by many media organizations. Some gave it like nine minutes in the entire year of coverage. Some gave it like fourteen minutes. What's it like in Canada? Sure. So, from my unscientific sample, and uh, this is going to be, uh, uh, I guess, biased towards the particular outlets that I read, which might not be fully representative. I think that climate change has been on the background uh, in every uh, in every article, even if it is just the disclaimer saying, you know, scientists, you know, don't want to uh, say politicize this issue by saying it's your fault or because of climate change. Uh, but there is a uh, there is an acknowledge it, it isn't being ignored. It's not like. Um, you know, people have, uh, or the mainline media has their hands on their ears and they're saying, la, 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 la. Well, I'm sure we do think, uh, you know, many of us, uh, especially, you know, progressives, uh, think that Canada has has a, a bit of a better ability to discuss science uh, in, in politics and um, incorporate scientific uh, facts and, and uh, understanding. So, you know, we tend to think that you do a better job covering things like climate change. Uh, one of the challenges that, you know, has been how to talk about such an abstract concept and how to talk about a, a, such an issue that seems so distant from, from a lot of people. And I've, I found, you know, natural disaster, talking, highlighting, highlighting natural disasters and how they're connected to climate change is a very powerful way to do that uh, and seems to be one of the most effective ways to get people more, more galvanized about, uh, to, to take action. Uh, and, and in this case, if I were evacuated because of a for forest fire, uh, I'm pretty sure that would have a lasting effect on my on my life. Yeah, um, that's very true. Uh, I I suppose maybe the terminology that we might want to use is that not that it was directly caused, but it was exacerbated or made you know much much more likely, uh, simply from the fact that uh, these kinds of conditions. Um, Again, the warmer weather, the drier, uh, the drier uh, region, causing the wood to be, you know, all that much more flammable, uh, is just uh, so much more likely, much more than linearly more likely, uh, as we have these different, uh, um, as these these different climate regions or climate uh, uh, trends coming in. Uh, one broader. Uh, topic of interest or of significance to us is that uh, when you have a forest fire you do have the emissions which you know uh, which you know the, the wood burns causes co2 but you wind up with a lot of dead wood which doesn't actually absorb co2 you have to wait for the small young saplings to uh, to grow further and in, in perhaps in their first couple of years they might only absorb a couple pounds of co2 per year net uh, when they get more mature, maybe they can get up to about 50 pounds of CO2 that they, uh, they sequester, basically, into their tree trunks. Uh, there is more CO2 they absorb through their many leaves, but those leaves kind of fall off if they're, as long as they're deciduous trees, and they kind of you know, decompose um, aerobically. So, uh, basically, the net impact of a large fire, or things such as the mountain pine beetle in British Columbia, which has also which has killed even more trees than fire, is that the ability of the forests to 
draw down the CO2 levels in the atmosphere is also impaired. And we'll include this in the show notes, but uh, there has been, on account of this beetle, which is no longer killed by cold winters, there has been a substantial reduction in, in how much uh, CO2 BC's forests um, absorb. So, uh, and again, we'll include this link, but uh, basically BC, uh, British Columbia, thanks in part to the carbon tax and some other smarter policies, has kept its overall um, uh, CO2 emissions from direct human activity. It's maybe gone a bit down from maybe about 70 million uh, uh, tons of CO2 equivalent to uh, maybe maybe the lower 60s. So maybe, looking optimistically, maybe a 10 million ton per year CO2 drop from, from direct human activity. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, forests used to draw down CO2 levels by on the order of maybe about 100 million tons, and it's now estimated that they're only actually drawing down 50 million tons. So human activity has, uh, you know, we have uh, done a modest job of reducing our CO2 emissions by about uh, 10 million tons here from direct human activities. However, net, we're actually minus 10 plus 50. We're, we're 40 million tons for the geographic territory higher in terms of CO2 emissions, or I guess uh, more likely we're... Yeah, basically the net effect is that um, we are uh, increase our, our CO2 emissions, instead of going down by 10 million tons, have actually gone up by 40 million tons simply because uh, our forests have been decimated by this little beetle. Um, again, very much exacerbated by climate change. And so I imagine that uh, perhaps as, the, uh, as we make progress in reducing our direct human emissions, uh, hopefully we'll get to the point where we're making really good progress and then we can s take a look a bit further uh, further out in, in the even bigger picture just to make sure that uh, we're aiming for the right target uh, because ultimately we want the overall CO2 emissions or the CO2 level in the atmosphere to stabilize and drop and even if humans are uh, reducing our own uh, direct emissions if forest fires and other effects are causing... Um, CO2 levels to rise anyways, or, or not to drop as much as they ordinarily would, then we will have to uh, make up for that uh, with our own efforts as well. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing that has come to mind for me a couple of times, uh, I haven't dug into the clim climate science literature enough to know how much this is incorporated, but I wonder how much the ramifications uh, in the energy sector are, are taken into account when, when deciding you know, how much we need to do, what we need to do to to uh, get to a stable climate, to stop, you know, truly society-threatening uh, global warming and climate change. I mean, for example, last year in the, the United States, about 9,000 gigawatt hours of, of more wind electricity was produced than the year before, uh, which is a big boost. Uh, but then you look at how much uh, hydro production dropped, largely because of the drought in the southwest, uh, it dropped 8,000 gigawatt hours. So you almost lose that entire boost from wind from wind power growth uh, because of bad drought in the United States that's for sure related to global warming and uh, climate change. So you know how much that's taken into account with what we need to do to to stabilize the climate. Uh, i'm I'm scared to know the answer to that actually. 
I, I guess the way I see it, and it's not so much uh, on the depressing side, is that uh, as we understand more, we get a more holistic understanding of you know, just what's required. So maybe 20 years ago, companies who wanted to be you know, responsible stewards might have... Um, they might have, you know, recycled their cardboard or something. I think when I was a teenager, McDonald's uh, finally switched from those styrofoam little uh, clamshell containers for their burgers to some sort of a paper-based wrap or something. And it's like, yeah, we're totally cool. Uh, and then maybe maybe later in the 90s or, or early 2000s, maybe there was a, a bit more that was added to this uh, consideration, like, hey, you know, maybe we should, uh, we should just check our supply chain or maybe we should... Uh, um, you know, try to buy from more ethical suppliers or something like this. Uh, we, we sort of broaden the scope of what we appreciate, what we understand is, uh, is truly uh, responsible. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I think my, my big concern is just that it's constantly moving target. The tar- target keeps getting uh, more and more daunting. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you've seen stuff on the COP21 commitments that just don't really cut it. Um, of course, they they don't limit global warming to the degree that scientists have said is really necessary. Um, of course, there, you know, there's a the potential to build off of those. That's the idea, uh, and that's a great foundation to start from. Uh, and there is also, you know, the hope, I have the hope a bit that their expen- exponential growth in the clean tech industries will um, be faster than anyone really anticipated or, and, and will really make the shift happen sooner than almost any projections out there. Um, once a, once a, an, a disruptive technology is ripe, it really it, it falls off the tree like that, and it's really ready uh, and takes over the market like that. So there's some help there, but the, the constantly moving target is pretty scary. But there is also the help of cities stepping in. You know, the cities I, I think could be could play a major role if, if major cities are banning gasoline and diesel cars from from their centers uh, or, or incorporating you know uh, clean air zones where you have to pay a lot or drive a, an electric, um, then I think that could have a have a quickening effect as well. I hope that will happen a lot more. We're seeing signs of that in some, some cities already uh, moving forward with that. But yeah, moving on, let's get into the, the positive news on, in the wind industry. What do you have uh, on that? What's the, the hot clean energy story of the week? Uh, or, or maybe it's the month now, yeah? Sure. This uh, this yeah of the month might be more appropriate. This story came out uh, a few weeks back. It was a blog post from uh, from the um, American Wind Energy, Energy Association, which noted that uh, according to I think the U.S. Census data, the fastest growing uh, profession in the United States was wind turbine technician, and uh, it had shown uh, I forget what it was it was like a one hundred percent. growth expected in the next uh, 10 years, something of this sort. And um, what's interesting to me, uh, what's most uh, compelling to me in terms of a story here, is that uh, if you have, and this also speaks to uh, your earlier comment about disruptive technology really just growing exponentially as opposed to linearly, is that with within this case uh, wind uh, wind turbine technicians becoming a very uh, the, the fastest growing profession uh, tracked by the US census that means there are a lot of people in blue states and red states in cities and rural areas in you know in more or less any other divide you might think of uh, of society who have their uh, their their living uh, their livelihood uh, 
supported by this particular renewable energy technology. I guess I should note that I also work in the wind energy sector, so I'm a, I was particularly pleased by this story. And uh, the the reason for this uh, this I guess that this stood out for me is that once you reach a certain size, then you you kind of uh, the legislative roadblocks you get. Uh, become a lot easier to go over. You know, what was once an ins- insurmountable hurdle just becomes something of a speed bump that you can kind of roll over. Yes, yes. I, I mean, I, I'll let you keep going, but I uh, just think that's a really great point worth highlighting. Um, you know, we had the the solar investment tax credit and wind production tax credit get extended uh, several years at the end of the year. Uh, and that was really, that really came as a pretty big shock to most of the industry um, you know, who were expecting expirations or, you know, it, at the, you know, best case, um, maybe, you know, temporary extensions. Uh, so somehow they got it through. And I, I think part of that's got to be related to, you know, that wind and solar are benefiting people across the country in a lot of places. And it, especially with wind in, ver- in rural uh, Republican-dominated uh, areas as well. So, so while the national, you know, line on it must is has sort of has to be, you know, Republicans have to sort of be anti-clean energy. Sadly, uh, when it comes down to it, their constituents are into renewables and benefit from renewables, and it can make deals where it really matters because every, so many people are benefiting across the country. Right, and that—that's exactly it. You—you uh, you want to have, I guess, if you're a politician or a political party, you want to have a fifty-state strategy in the U.S. Uh, because you want to—you want to have a presence everywhere. You want to be uh, sort of uh, on the offensive or, or or advancing your vision of the future, and that also applies when it comes to um, advocacy groups. So, for example. Um, you're taking the, the defense industry as a bit of an example. Uh, in the late 80s, uh, there was an effort to build the B-2 bomber. It was complained as being too expensive. Uh, however, it's something like 383 congressional districts out of 435 benefited from having uh, subcontractors uh, associated with the project. So no surprise, really, that the B-2 bomber got moved forward, even though there were some complaints that it was too expensive and so forth. Yeah, I think some commenters on Clean Technica, Clean Technica have actually uh, joked about that as well. I mean, it's just an extremely powerful way to get whatever you want in Congress. You know, have the benefit across across the country, across jurisdictions. Exactly. So, if if in the case of wind and solar, just to take those two examples, if um, we on the renewable energy side have enough of a breadth of uh, stakeholders, maybe in the cities, you have uh, you know consultants or people who do computer modeling or or um, uh, grid operators and independent system operators who are perhaps looking at uh, you know those aspects of renewable energy development. And if on the more rural side or in the uh, what was it called flyover country, the the the, the more uh, rural areas of the United States where you would be more likely to have these large installations, then suddenly you start to get, you know, instead of having a handful of um, congressional seats in California or maybe Boston or a couple other places which might tend to be more uh, friendly to um, uh, renewable energy, suddenly you have, well, you have actually a quite a broad base of uh, support. And I would imagine that that. Uh, 
that makes it a lot easier uh, not to get outmaneuvered by the fossil fuel interests. So um, instead of in, yeah, so instead of always being worried that oh you know uh, these oil guys are going to you know use Texas against us, well then hey Texas is the U.S.'s number one wind uh, you know wind energy producer. So maybe you can fight them to a draw in Texas, and you can beat them in California. You can beat them in Oregon and Washington, and and basically uh, attain an equal footing um, with uh, with the older uh, energy sources. Yeah, and you know, uh, wind has has really been a big player in many of these uh, rural quote flyover states for for quite a while now. And the head of AWEA for a long time was actually a Republican lady who was really superb at messaging uh, communication around wind energy and its benefit for for these popular these communities. You know, these cultures. Um, she was excellent. She'd get on Fox News and just. Uh, nail it, you know, and um, I think that was really helpful. And we have to t- think about that kind of messaging when we when we talk about these topics because they have so many benefits. You just have to focus on, you know, the benefits that are right for the community you're talking to. Uh, and as a side tangent, now um, in the you know at least in the progressive liberal community where I that I was you know raised in, uh, it's really looked down upon in the in the U.S. to 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 use to to speak about the United States as America <laughs> and um, you know that this really says meet America America's fastest growing profession um, because you know the the issue of course is that the United States is just part of America part of North America then there's North America South America so I always sort of cringe a bit when I when I see that kind of uh, terminology and I mean this is even after living in Europe for several years where. Basically, Europeans, they mostly, when they say, they don't say the U.S., they say America. So, uh, I, I've heard it so much now, but still, I, I cringe a bit when, we, when I hear this. So, what's your opinion on this, on this matter, as someone from, you know, Canada? <laughs> Just kidding. I wasn't aware of any particular syntactical preference on referring to the United States or America. I, I just assumed that it was a kind of shorthand. You don't want to always say United States, so sometimes you say U.S., sometimes you say America. Um, I, I was totally unaware of that kind of cultural politeness aspect that uh, that you mentioned there. Yeah. Wow, I'm really uh, surprised to hear that. I mean, that's, I, I don't know where I had it drilled into me, but it's definitely, I think, very prevalent, especially among, uh, you know, the liberal community. Uh, but anyway, getting off of that um, that side tangent, uh, getting back to the news. So I was re- I was really surprised. You know, we we cover clean tech obsessively, and uh, you know I go through like four or five hundred stories a day to pick you know ten for us to cover. Um, and uh, I I hadn't seen this until you shared it. You know, you're really great at you know digging up these these stories. But this one seems like it should have been everywhere. And you know, at the moment. Awea's uh, tweet has you know eighteen likes, thirty one retweets, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, and I, I really don't recall seeing it anywhere else. Um, I feel like this should have been you know covered basically by you know people across you know, not not just in clean tech but across the media. Uh, you know, Oprah retweeting it, Obama retweeting it. I mean, this is the number one fastest growing job in the, in the United States. You know, wind turbine technician. So it's a big deal. I mean, what's the hottest topic in politics and the economy is jobs, you know. So it's like, this is a huge deal. Uh, so I'm really surprised it's going to get more attention. Hopefully we'll get a little more attention on it. But um, and great job, you know, finding it and highlighting it as a 
story for us to cover, uh, as you're so great at uh, doing. Yeah, I, I guess maybe that uh, might point to the uh, other fact that uh, because, um, well, there's there's so much exciting news about renewables, and it isn't always uh, it isn't always as high profile that uh, that there is high value in uh, advocates just making sure making the extra effort to you know weave these into conversation or to uh, make sure this is something that others are aware of because unlike whatever happens to have uh, you know been the front page of the New York Times today, you know many of these uh, you know, very significant stories don't don't wind up getting covered. Uh, and you know too, I think I think uh, it's you know we tend to cover technology. I mean, generally in the world, we co- we connect with technology more that that's uh, very directly related to us. You know, not uh, you know electric cars is a hot topic now, and that's definitely you know clearly a, a big focus of Clean Technica, and that's a lot that's quite easy to cover because you know people drive cars. It's a consumer product. It's a very emotional product. It's very tied to identity. Um, it's it's something that just uh, stimulates emotions. Um, even solar, you don't really do much with it, but you stick it on your roof at least. Wind, you know, it's out there somewhere. It's not something we we personally put on our homes or in our yards or use on a daily basis. Um, so even though it has, you know, and I think there are other things too. You know, I think we love sun solar partly because we just love sunshine and warmth and uh, wind. We don't have such a positive relationship with. Uh, you know, there's actually a hilarious one of my favorite videos out there is this video, Mr. W, about Mr. Wind from from Germany. It's a wonderful, hilarious video. Um, but you know, wind. You know, it might be the cleanest. It's better with CO2 emissions than anything else. Better than solar. Better with water use. Better with uh, various environmental factors creates a ton of jobs but still you know we 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 don't uh these kind of stories just don't get highlighted as much uh, and people except you know maybe for people like from from you you know <laughs> well uh, i i think that um it's just a matter of uh what we all we all have our small uh, personal favorites and it's just a matter of making sure that um when we we see stories which uh, might be underappreciated then that we try to make the extra effort at the right time to just make sure they're mentioned because you never know when something hits that tipping point and you know becomes newsworthy. Yeah. Uh, what were you going to say about Obama? You were saying Oh uh, well, I think uh, I think Green Tech Media had uh, a couple of years back uh, made this little calculation that every four minutes someone puts in a solar uh, a solar uh, panel array. In the states, and you know that would have been that would have stayed obscure forever, most likely. Except somehow that happened to be one of the fluky little stat factoids that made it into one of Obama's State of the Union addresses, and so that 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 kind of uh, what um, crossed the chasm. It uh, it hit that tipping point in terms of talking points, and so for every one one worthy uh, renewable energy clean tech uh, factoid that does cross that chasm that does hit the tipping point i'm sure there are dozens which aren't quite so lucky but there's no reason for us not to you know try to re-emphasize those because you never know which you know re-mention or retweet or whatnot might be the one that finally catches the uh, catches the zeitgeist yeah yeah i remember that story uh, very well i i mean that the original story you know was quite popular on clean tech sites anyway you know for quite a while before when when the research first came out, 
But then, you know, when Obama made the comment, of course, Green Tech Media was very quick to claim claim this data as theirs, uh, as you know, as they rightfully, uh, as they had the right to do. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's just uh, that's the kind of thing that you know, and, and this again, this wind turbine technician, you know, fastest growing job in the United States, quote is is one definitely that I could see Obama or or another top politician using. Um, you know, I know we've we've been told a number of times that. Uh, congressional aides uh read clean technica and send stories to the to these congress people so uh, actually send quite a lot of you know the energy stories they sent from clean technica so maybe it'll get on someone's radar and someone will will highlight it use it um if it wasn't already i mean it definitely deserves to be uh but uh, any any more thoughts on this before we close out um nope we can go back to our regular uh uh Electric vehicle um, preferential coverage, I suppose, next week. Yeah, I'm sure there will be uh, quite a bit of some some kind of Tesla news, um, uh, electric vehicle news. Um, and, you know, we just actually, well, you're the first, uh, I'm telling, uh, we launched a, a an electric vehicle forum on EV Obsession, sister side of Technica. Um, uh, definitely, I think comments are just superb. I think it's often half the fun of Clean Technica. Uh, but, uh, yeah, an EV format provides a more structured format for, for all these past, passionate comment, commenters, uh, readers, experts to, to chime in and to create threads and to create um, uh, long discussions on specific topics that we can come back to. So uh, we'll ho- be launching this, and hopefully we'll have a bit to talk about from that at some point. Um, but in general, yeah, there's so, so much happening in the EV world. I'm sure we'll be touching on something. Uh, so check in next week to get your electric fix.